Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders sponsored by Faith Lead at Luther Seminary. Pivot invites church leaders to use disruptive moments to reimagine how they think about church, ministry, and leadership. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton, and today's topic is how do we integrate faithful innovation practices into ministry? And I am Alicia Granholm, and I would love to introduce our guest, Dr. D. Stokes. She is on our Faith Lead team at Luther Seminary and leads the Seeds Project. She's joining us from North Carolina today. Welcome, Dr. D. We are so glad to have you with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, ladies. Dean Elton and Dr. Alicia, thank you for having me on today. Uh, Yes, I live in the great state of North Carolina. I am a Southern girl. I grew up in Arkansas and have lived mostly on the East Coast and Southeast for most of my life. I've been involved in ministry in different ways. I've been in higher education for over 25 years as a professor, as a coach. I've also worked in administration. Um, I actually was an interim principal once for a K through eight school, Christian school. And uh, I have been a pastor. Um, I'm on the teaching and preaching team now at my church. I'm a good Wesleyan in the Wesleyan Church. And uh, I'm also the director of multicultural ministry for my district. And so I really believe in workplace ministry um, and being co-vocational. I like that word because we are all called to ministry. Once you accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you are in ministry no matter what you do. And you could be a teacher. You could be a garbage man, a CEO. It doesn't matter. A CPA. um, But you are still called to ministry. And so those of us who feel like we're called to uh, different types of ministry would be co-vocational. So you don't have to uh, grab a microphone and 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 uh, be in a pulpit preaching. That's not just ministry. Ministry is all kinds of things. So I like the fact that God has graced me with the ability, many people, I've met many people in my life and I've traveled the world and I'm so grateful to the Lord for that. Thanks for that, Dee. It's been fun to get to know you over these last couple of years and hearing a lot of those stories and, and to see your passion. Today, we'd like to have you talk specifically maybe about some of the stories of the Seed Fellows that you've got to work with for the last year and a half. And as we are concluding this or coming to the end of this season three, we've been looking at all these different faithful innovation practices, different kind of aspects of it. And today we just like to kind of hear from you or or engage you around why are these important? We've kind of talked a little bit about that, but how do we then integrate them into our everyday ministry and not just like put them on a shelf and take them down every now and then? Sure. So I'll start with maybe a story from my own denomination, which is not good. So I hope they're listening. Everywhere I go, I talk about seeds. Uh, And so I was at a conference this past weekend and talking about seeds and someone introduced me to uh, an innovator. And so I I talked to her and gave her the website and, you know, where applications are closed right now, but, um, but contact me and I'll make sure you get the, the, the link and all of that. Well, her issue, and, and I was over, I was overhearing some of her conversation uh, with our general superintendent, Emeritus, (laughs) 
And then she sent me an email and was sharing a bit more. So her ministry is actually to males in prison. And she has figured out how to translate that to the church once they're freed from prison, set the captives free, that sounds biblical, and to be able to minister to these men, which is, uh, to me, I thought remarkable. Well, she's getting resistance from her district superintendent who basically told her she's not Wesleyan. That's not a Wesleyan church. That's not this. And, and this is the issue that we have in Christendom is that not only are, and, and I'm a, when I use the term leaders, I mean everybody now sitting in the pews and people on the stage, but we don't listen enough to the people sitting in the pews in the congregation. We call them lay people. I don't like that term. They're ministers. We don't listen to them enough about what's in their heart because they have an assignment from the Lord. They have a ministry from the Lord as well. And they want to go out and do great things for the Lord. So this, these are the types of people describing this lady. These are the type of seeds fellows that we have that don't quite fit into denominations and denominations don't know what to do with them because they really are hearing from the Lord and doing what God has told them to do. And I believe these fellows and these type of innovators and entrepreneurial apostolic leaders is what I call them. Uh, are really moving where God is moving. And I think the pandemic was to, to shake us up and to show us to do a different thing, a new thing, like Isaiah said, the Lord is doing a new thing. And if we go back to doing the old thing, then we're not moving where God is moving and doing like he wants us to do. So our seeds fellows are doing that. We have people, we have one young man, uh, an alum who is on Twitch. I don't even know what, what Twitch is, but he's on Twitch uh, ministering to people at 3 a.m. in the morning. Well, that's not Sunday morning. That's not Wednesday night. That's not. Yeah, but it's ministry. And and listen, Jesus has called us to 24-6 ministry. And we need to do it as we go. The Bible says, as we go, make disciples. So as we go along the way in our everyday journey, in our everyday life, we make disciples. And so as you go to the post office, I need to go to the post office today is what I said. As you go to Sam's, I just bought a new Sam's Club membership. I need to go get it from Sam's. As I go to Sam's, I need to be making disciples. And I believe there are numerous ways to do that. I'm also one, a, a scholar, theologian, I'm going to call myself, who believes that the disciples were not really saved until after the resurrection. And if that be the case, when Jesus said, make disciples, he said, make disciples before people believe. Now, that's an interesting concept. A lot of the times we want them to believe what we believe, but people want to belong first. And so that's what our Seeds Fellows are doing. They, they are taking people who want to belong and teaching them about Jesus and just how Jesus affects their everyday lives. And that's what we need to do more of in the church. So we have artists. We have spoken word artists. We have a tap dancer this year. Uh, we have pastors. We have church planters. We have musicians. We have a uh, a, a storied musician, um, psalmist in our midst this year. And um, we have uh, storytellers and all kinds of counselors and all kinds of people in the Seeds Fellowship who are really doing great things for the Lord. 
Dee, when you talk about how, you know, Jesus's invitation to belong before believing, you know, I can't help but think about, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Peter is the only one who declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Lisa is recorded. So, you know, we have no idea with the other uh, disciples where they were at belief-wise uh, before Jesus's resurrection. So, Dee, I'm curious, why do you think or what are you seeing um, as the importance of innovative practices for sharing the gospel today? One thing is, again, what we've been doing hasn't been working. And so to be innovative really means to bring freedom and freedom of expression. It, it really gives you energy. That's the word I'm trying to find. It's, it's energetic and, it, and, it, and it's, it keeps you getting out of bed in the morning. You know, I, I tell people I step out of bed in the morning into purpose and destiny. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And so I'm excited about doing things in different ways. And uh, and it also gets other people involved in what you're doing. And so it's not just one way to do things. It's a number of different ways. You know, in, in America, I don't know if people are going to listen to this in other countries, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but we use the term, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Now, if you say that in another country, they wonder what you're talking about. But in America, we just mean that there's numerous ways of doing things. And as a leader myself, particularly when I was coaching at the division one level in, in basketball, I used to tell my assistants, now this might be the way that I've done it, but I know that you, you'll do it a different way and that's okay. Because as long as we're trying to come together um, for the same mission, the same purpose, and, and I believe churches need to be mission driven. The, the body of Christ needs to be mission driven. And, and I don't care what your slogan is. Don't don't send an email to Dr. Alicia or, or Dr. Elton, but or me. No matter what your your slogan is that you say is your mission, the mission of the church is to make disciples. Period. Now you can twist it any other way you want, and you can say your vision is this and that. But the mission of God's church, He gave it to us in Matthew twenty eight, is to make disciples. And so um, there's numerous ways of doing it. Now I used to be a part of Fresh Expressions and still believe in fresh expressions of church. And so we used to um, say this thing, we do trainings, is that we, we'd ask people, how many people like music? You guys like music? You, you two like music? Good, yes, you do? Okay. And, and I love music. And so I remember when we used to listen to music on eight tracks. Now I, I'm not, listen, I'm older than I look. Thank you, Jesus. And then we listened to them on cassettes and then we did Walkmans and, and the progression of, you know, all of this and CDs. And, and now we just listen to it on our phone, you know, however we listen to it, MP3s and all, you know, all these things. But we never complained about the way we listen to music. We just adapted the new way to do so and continue to listen to music because we love music. Well, I love Jesus and I love his church. And so the way that the gospel is presented to people could be a different way than it was presented in 1970, but it's still the same gospel. And so we have to find different innovative ways to present. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but to present the gospel, but it's yet this is still the same gospel. And it's this, still the same gospel that sets people free. And if we lift up Jesus, 
then that can happen. So different ways of doing things are good. So D, what do we risk if we don't innovate in how we are sharing the gospel today? We risk losing people. I mean, we, that's what we risk. We risk people not knowing Jesus, period. So no matter what culture looks like, we still have to be in the trenches getting people evangelizing, discipling, getting people to know Jesus. We miss losing people. And that's a big risk. Don't you agree? Oh, yes. The two things stood out for me as you were talking. One of them is I have, I'm a mom of two girls and I grew up with brothers. So like, I, I was like, God, this is like a joke. Like I don't do makeup and nails. I do like play sports and, you know, get in the dirt. So God's been having a joke with me for almost 30 years now. And that my two girls are wired very differently. And from literally day one of number two, it's like, nope, I'm not my sister, right? And now, you know, as soon as she could talk, she would tell me that. And what was interesting to me is uh, anything that I knew about parenting one had to be always rethought with parenting number two. That like how I loved them, how I came alongside them, how I nurtured them, how I challenged them to grow, all of that had to be particular to each of them. So I was thinking, as you were saying, if we want to grow disciples, if we want to bring people into the love of God, right? If we want to show them that they belong and and the transformational, reconciling, redeeming, freeing love of God, it's going to look different, right? If if I just have two kids and it's got to look different. So that's one thing that made I made me think of. And the other thing that made me think of was the participatory nature that you're saying. One of the things I love about practices is there can can be both contextual, right? They're easily adaptable to different contexts and they invite people to join. So I would love for you to tell some stories maybe about how Seeds Fellows have contextualized that discipling kind of belonging, kind of bringing people into Christian community that they're seen and heard, and how they invited others to participate? So, good question. So, we have Seeds Fellows who are really involved with their community. So, we have, we've had a couple of pastors who are queer pastors who minister to queer congregations. We have one alum who's a storyteller who engages people who like to tell stories and teaches people how to tell stories. We have even some uh, pastors of churches, some traditional denominations who have gone outside their church and ministered to the people in their community. And I think I want to pinpoint that I think it's important for us to understand who our community is. Sometimes people parachute in church plant and they say, well, I'm going to go to Minneapolis and I'm going to Transform Minneapolis. No, you're not. Okay. So I don't know Minneapolis, you know, the neighborhoods, but let's say you're in neighborhood A and your goal probably ought to start with let's transform neighborhood A. And then maybe we can move outside of that. And so I think it's important when knowing who you your neighbors are, really, 
And and yes, okay, theologically say all my neighbors are in Minneapolis. Yes, okay, all your neighbors are in Minneapolis. But really, your neighbors in Jerusalem are in your neighborhood before you can go out to Samaria, right? And to the other most parts of the world. And so these seeds fellows, I believe, do a really good job of ministering to those people. We have another who I'm actually going to see next week who who you've had on your show, Ines um, McBride, right? And she has this multicultural ministry that's really vibrant. She really knows who, who God has pointed her to minister to. And so the Holy Spirit is at work in all of these areas, I believe. And one of the things, we always talk about this in our meetings, right, at Faith Lead, that most of the time people are trying to fix the church and are, and are asking questions about the church and not asking God what God wants to do with his church. And so I think that's extremely important. And so um, we're just real excited about who these people are. So, so these seeds fellows have taken what God has given them, their great, the graces uh, and gifts and talents that God has given them and use that to minister. So if, you know, I think the Bible says if you're a prophet, prophesy, right? If you're a teacher, teach. <laughs> do we believe the word? I mean, I do. And so um, Amen. If, if, you're, if you're a spoken word artist, be a spoken word artist for Jesus, right? If you're a musician, be a musician. And I believe these C's fellows embody that. I, I think they've taken what God has given them and just multiplied it among the people who are their neighbors. Um, and then there's there's more stories, but I'll stop there or more seeds fellows, but I'll stop there because I I can't remember everybody's stuff, <laughs> to be honest. There are so many and they're so creative. And I I just want to reiterate what you pointed out is they. And I, I told my my group that I of Seeds Fellows that I coached just this week, I said, you know, I really see you all living into who God has created you to be. You are so comfortable, whether it was comfortable getting there or not is not the point, but you have gotten to a place in your life. You know who God has created you to be. You have trust in God's faithfulness and God's leading in your life. The Holy Spirit is leading in your life and your context. And you have it settled within you what God has called you to do. Whether or not other people in your life, other people in your denomination, other people in your system support you in it, affirm you in it or not. And you're moving forward and and moving into what God is up to and what God is doing. Proverbs tells us to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old and will not depart from it, I interpret that passage of scripture as train up a child in the tenor of his ways, meaning in the ways that God has made him or her, right? You didn't have to tell the Israelites to train up the children to know God. That's They already did that. They know that. So that doesn't mean train the child to know God. That means allow the child to do whatever God has put in the child to do. And, and support them in that way. If they want to be a ball player, support them in that way. If they want to be a ballerina, support her in that way, whatever. And, and I think it's important what you just said is that these folks are actually living into the ways that God has made them. Amen and amen. 
Okay, Dr. D, what advice or wisdom can you share with other ministry leaders and pastors about how to integrate innovation, faithful innovation into their leadership? First thing is don't be scared. (laughs) You cannot lead in fear. I'm going to say it again because I don't think you heard me for the folks in the back. You cannot lead in fear. Unfortunately, I believe there are pastors, let's talk about them, whose primary gifting may not be to pastor. And their primary calling may not be that. And so you need to determine that, first of all, (laughs) because you can if you're just in it to have a job, that's probably not the place you should be. So let's start there. However, if you do believe you're in it because that's your assignment in the earth, you can't be scared. And whatever you do as, as a leader in whatever profession or whatever, you cannot lead in fear. So when God gives you, first of all, you got to seek God. OK, you can't just be in your office all day pretending like you writing sermons every, every hour of the day. You get out and meet your community. You need to know the mayor. You need to know the city council. You need to know people in your community. Um, that's how you change and influence and transform your community is you got to know people. OK, so don't sit in your office and say you're studying all the time because you're not. All right. It doesn't take that long to write a message. All right. Pray and hear from God on what you should do. Don't here, here's a mistake that churches have, and particularly when pastors move to new churches. They look at the pastor and they say, and I'm going to tell you, this is a this is an issue in the black church. I'm just going to tell you that we look to the pastor to be the only visionary in the place. No, I moved to your city. I don't know anything about your city. You've got to inform me. You've got to tell me what have you done in the past? What have, so the vision should actually come from everyone who's involved, every stakeholder who's involved. It cannot be just the pastor's vision. So 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 talk to people, listen to people, take people to lunch, uh, have a Zoom call if you don't want to do that, whatever. But listen to, to the people to understand what's happening in the place. And then when it's time to make changes, now I'm, I'm one of those people, I've, I've taught organizational change in classes. And, and first you got to diagnose your organization to see if they're actually ready for change. Okay, and there are ways to do that. There are actually ways you can do that. Then there are also change plans that you can actually use to change your organization. So hire somebody to do that if, you, if necessary. And so diagnose, see if they're ready for some change. Then when it is ready to change, use a plan to do so and stick with it. You know, do the plan, evaluate the plan, own up to mistakes, make changes, tweak the way you need to do. But by all means, don't remain stagnant. Change and do what God has told you to do. I'm a huge fan of Kuzis and Posner. And they talk about their their book, The Leadership Challenge. They talk about one of their um, challenges in the Leadership Challenge is to inspire a shared vision. You've got to uh, inspire the people. Dr. Alicia has it. I I have two of their books. Actually, I have the the Leadership Challenge and also the um, spiritual, I can't think of the exact name, um, Reflections on the Leadership Challenge that have case studies. And I use it when I'm coaching pastors, as a matter of fact, and to see how people are innovative and how they make change and how they do things. 
according to Christian ways, Christian values. And so um, in, to inspire a shared vision, you really have to take the vision of the whole place, the, the whole organization, everyone's vision. And then, you know, once, once you create a team and you feel like you're part of the team and you had insight into that, it's easy then to inspire a shared vision. It's easy. And so don't forget the stakeholders. Listen to all the stakeholders. But once you make up your mind that you're going to innovate, do it. Don't stop it. Do it. There, there are going to be people for you. There are going to be people against you. It could be the greatest thing since sliced bread. There's going to be somebody who doesn't like it. And so you've got to just have thick skin. And if you know that you know that you know in your knower that it's the right thing to do, then do it. And forget about the naysayers, but do it and do it in the name of the Lord. If the Lord has directed you to do it and he will show you how to make it happen. I love that. And I love kind of the parallel of saying from the leader to the community, right? How you can lead without being in fear is deeply connected to being grounded in God and you're knowing where your identity and your strength and your power and your mission come from. And then this deep listening and sense of discerning where God is calling it and then going. And I think that parallels what I heard Alicia, you talking about and you telling some stories about, about the seeds fellow, like they're like those usually happened <laughs> For after a lot of trial or after a lot of testing or a lot of being said no to, right? We don't get there in often easy ways. But when it comes down to it, we have to say, who are we called to be? You, you've given us our mission, right? We're making disciples, folks. We're loving like Jesus. And, we're, and everybody's part of it. It's not a pastor thing. And then how are we called to do that with the gifts and graces that God has given us in our place and in our time. And when we hold those things, then these practices just are energetic, right? They give us things to do every day when we get up, ready to go with our purpose and destiny. I love that. Uh, Elisa, do you have a practice for us today? I sure do. Surprise. Today, I, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Today, I want to introduce a discerning prayer. Uh, this is for all leaders and all people sitting in the pews and in congregations called the Ignatian Examine. And I'm going to go through the practice. I'm going to explain it, walk through the steps. We're going to do it together right now at the end here of this episode. And the practice will be available for download in our show notes so you can get it and do it for yourself and introduce it with your community as well. So this practice really creates a space for individuals, groups of participants to listen and discuss together what God might be leading them to do as a group or as individuals. And so it really is this centuries-old way of reflecting back on our experience of the previous day or previous week or previous season and tracing God's movement in our lives. So step one, and this is a simplified version of, of the practice, step one is becoming aware of God's presence. 
and reflecting on how you experience God's presence and how you are experiencing God's presence with you in this moment. And then step two is to reflect back on the previous day or week and think about what were the most life-giving moments and what brought you closer to God and closer to others. Then step three is, as you continue to reflect, what were the most life-taking moments? What drew you apart from God and apart from others? And then to lift up to God in prayer what you've just named, and you might want to write it down on a, in a prayer journal, on the practice guide that's provided. And then as you think about the rest of your day and the day to come, What might be one step you could take to be more aware of and trust in God's presence? So ladies, I'd love to think about maybe particularly step two and three right now together to reflect back on our day or our week or this season. And are there uh, life-giving moments or life-taking moments that stand out to you? Anytime there's negativity in my life, those are life-taking moments. And so there might have been a something this past week that was a life-taking moment. So I have to step back and reflect on it and change my attitude about it. I totally can relate to that. The end. I have... Two examples, one of that and then one of a life-giving, kind of the opposite. I was in my office this weekend. I got a call from one of our alumni who was irritated about something. And so we we were catching up and chatting. And it was this wonderful moment to talk with her around how I had to have to let go of things. I, I too could get caught in the same thing she was getting caught in and how I have had to, over the last year, kind of let go of some of those things. And what was really interesting to me is that's a place I would have got caught in the past, but it became a point of just laying it down for her which is really, I think, why she called me, <laughs> is like, I just need to vent, help me reframe this, right? But it was it also became a practice of like, we could now do that on our own without each other. So that was kind of a, a kind of a, a negativity kind of thing. But the other one that came to me about a life-giving is, um, as you said, Dr. D, I have a new job. I am now uh, the interim co-dean, no, dean of academic affairs at Luther Seminary. And it actually is a job that my dad has previously held, which is an odd thing because not everybody his dad is a dean of a school. And my dad stopped by yesterday to drop off something because he lives by our school. And we had this lovely little 20 minutes where he was just reflecting on my dad grew up in a one-room schoolhouse in the middle of rural North Dakota. And each moment of his schooling and the trust of his parents and of mentors and of colleagues brought him further and further into his questions and schooling that moved him from 
you know, being in a one-room schoolhouse to having getting a PhD and, and a professor and being a leader in a school. And he was just being so reminded and reflective of that and of just the joy of getting to journey alongside my dad and and how he's pointing out the people and community that believed him in him for the sake of a mission way bigger than him. It was not about him at all, but it was about leading God's church. So two disruptions in my time this week in my own office that were really special. I forgot my life-giving moment was Tuesday night. I was sitting in my studio office, whatever I call this room, and um, one of my kids, I call all of my players that played for me, my kids, uh, reached out to check on me. And she lives in Colorado. And I coached her when I was an assistant coach at the University of Nebraska. And she's a kid I just dearly love. And uh, she just made my heart warm. Uh, and something else I was going to say about her now, I can't remember, but, but she just called to check on me. And, oh, I, I remember now I was her first and only black pastor or black coach. And, uh, she came from a real rural place in Nebraska and we just immediately made a connection, uh, when I was there that year. And so we've stayed connected. She's graduated years ago. And, um, so that made me feel good. I love that. I, I've had a, a several good handful of life-giving moments in the last week, to be honest. So it's kind of hard to choose. But actually yesterday, I was uh, driving home from the Luther Seminary and a worship song came on in the car. I was not familiar with it, to be honest. Uh, but I have this, I've always had this knack of being able to pick up a song. Really, I can start singing it probably halfway through, uh, even if it's the first time I've heard it. So I just started worshiping in my car and uh, I just sensed the Holy Spirit's presence so tangibly. Uh, and I, for a moment, contemplated pulling over uh, because I just was so uh, caught up in worship in the moment. And I just, I, I reflected on that I, I haven't had a lot of space lately in my calendar. I've, I've talked about this before. I have two young boys. So Sleeping through the night is not like a regular thing for, for our family in this season. Uh, so, um, and you know, little, little kids are, you get to spend a lot of time with them, uh, which is a joy, an absolute joy. And it leaves little time for yourself, which is fine. It's just the season, season that I'm in right now. But I just, I, I really treasure that moment I had in the car yesterday of, of really being able to have a real deep connection um, with God in my car. And then I will say the life-taking moment of my week that kind of stands out was my trip to the post office the other day. Now, I I don't hate on the post office. I think the post office is, is a fine place. But I will say, as someone who has her doctorate in strategic leadership, I have a, I'm challenged. Can I just say... Uh, Leadership things like pop out to me. I think you too. This happens to you too, right? So let me just say that I, I learned from my experience at the post office. It didn't have anything to do with the post office. But while I was there, I, I was reminded of how it is that there are so many businesses that are going bankrupt right now. And one of the reasons, at least retailers, one of the reasons they're going bankrupt is because of their 
online return process. If it takes me so much effort to return something that I bought online, let me just tell you, I can predict how quickly you are going to go under as a business. So that's a whole other conversation that I know that the three of us could have about leadership and innovation. But that was that was a life-taking moment for me at the post office when I realized that I still could not return my product because of the way they communicated to me in their emails about how the, I could return this thing online that I bought online. Anyway, needless to say, that was, that was definitely a life-taking moment for me. No shade to the post office, just whoever I bought the, my product from. Well, I'm glad you had lots of life-giving moments and, and that maybe could outbalance the, the return, but I can, I can feel for your sister. Well, I, it is a joy that I get to work with the two of you. And Dr. D, thank you for sharing your passion, your heart, your... I always leave a conversation with Dr. D with more energy than when I began. And so listeners, I hope you are also getting a little taste of that. And you will check out the Seeds uh, Fellowship and learn more about that at Faith Lead, at our Faith Lead platform. Well, we are uh, just about wrapping up our season. We have one more episode. And so we encourage you to um, come back next week and we will wrap up season three of this season of Pivot. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources, go to faithpluslead.luthersem.edu.